We, uh, I started off the ABF class that I'm teaching this morning um, asking the question, uh, how have you seen God at work this week? Um, and then also as we were sitting and singing this morning, I, th I thought, it's crazy. I mean, we, I've seen God at work already this morning in our service. Um, just the fact that, you know, the, the songs that Lorena picks and then the song that Titus shared, um, I'm sure, I don't think he knew the passage that I was preaching on, but he said, what, he, what did he say? He said he felt like God wanted him to sing this song. That means God is at work. The Holy Spirit is moving. Um, and that's just pretty amazing to me and humbling to me, honestly, that um, I get to be a part, a small part of that. But, um, and I think even Wes maybe mentioned it while he was praying, just the fact that our, I don't know if you've noticed, but our world seems to be divided. And it's not just our country, um, it's our world. I think you look across the globe, um, that there's animosity, there's division, there's things going on that, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I mean, I'm, I'm still fairly young, I'm getting older, but if this is just because it's the first time in my lifetime that I've kind of experienced this, um, kind of on a national and global scale, um, or if, if that's why it seems like why I'm struggling so much with what is my responsibility, I guess, in the midst of the culture that we live in. So. Is it like, is it just because this is the first time I've had to deal with this or is this something, you know, that really God has placed on my heart? Um, but I'm especially concerning to me as I see the environment that we're in is how do, how are we as Christians responding to the things around us? Um, what are we doing our, in our response? And a lot of times, unfortunately, um, I, I don't like what I see from the Christian community and the hostility and the anger and the words that we say. Um, and as I try to get perspective, we kind of talked about that in our ABF class this morning too, and think, um, you know, try to step back and think of the last 10, 15, 20, 50, 60 years. Um, I think in our American society, at least, we've enjoyed a, a relatively comfortable and um, a, maybe a time of more acceptance as Christians for the last maybe 50 years, 60 years, that if, and maybe it's just me, maybe you could disagree, but it seems like the last 10 to 15 years um, has, has really started to shift, and it seems like it's shifted faster than what we're used to seeing, I guess. Um, and it made me think, if, you're, if you don't think that our culture is changing, and maybe you don't agree, um, I was listening to a podcast this um, weekend, and just, they were... He was talking about an article or an interview that um, Professor, I don't even know how to say his name, Gulzo, he's a, um, from what I understand, a, a fairly renowned um, American historian, professor, scholar um, that studies American history. Um, and he was just kind of saying, basically, his perspective is the fact that, um, I'm going to quote so I don't mess it up. He says, uh, today's divisions are worse than those of any time in American history except the 1850s and 60s, which Civil War and all of that going on. So he's basically saying, and besides that point from his perspective and what he sees in studying American history, um, our divisions today are basically the second worst thing he's ever seen in American history. Um, which is kind of a sobering assessment. Um, and you may disagree, you may not agree. The point is that the fact that um, I think we're getting, we're going somewhere in our culture that 
is different than where we've been for the last 50, 60, 70 years, I think. And I think you would probably all agree with me on that. So what is our strategy now as we move forward? How are we supposed to respond? And you may think, well, you're going the same place you did the last time you were up here speaking, you know. But I, this is just something that the, a topic or something that God is really um, pushing on me or trying, I'm trying to work through. And so that's just kind of what I'm wanting to share with you today. And um, we're not alone. We're no longer coming from a position of power, acceptance um, in our culture. And it's, it's changing. I think you, you agree with that. Um, and I, I, I hesitate to call it persecution because I, I know what real, I mean, I know what persecution is. I know there are forms of extreme persecution throughout our world. Um, and so I hesitate to call it that because, you know, you've seen the extreme. You've seen Christians suffering for their faith, dying for their faith. You know, um, we experienced a little bit of that, what that persecution looks like in Thailand when we were there. And so I hesitate to call it that, but I think it may be, I don't know any other better word. Um, and if you don't think that there's persecution in America, um, it just, just this week, I think it was this week, um, and we talked about, I talked about Porcupine, uh, Pastor Howard and his son Dio, who is now um, also a pastor there in Porcupine, um, they face persecution on a level that we in our community don't. He's posted a couple times this week. Within the last couple weeks, they've had their um, electric meter destroyed. Like, you know, the power comes in and brings electricity to your meter and goes to you. That was just completely destroyed. And then he's posted a couple days ago that somebody either, I can, they destroyed the security lights that they have around the property. Um, not sure, you know, somehow. Um, and also broke into their church again, um, which happens probably at least on a yearly basis, if not more. And it's all just because they're a church, because they um, are opposed to or believe differently than the Native American culture around them. And so I think we see that. And so how do we respond? How do we live and engage in um, this culture? Um, and I think we have to start asking the question, um, are we more concerned about shaping the debate about what's going around, or are we more concerned about changing our attitude towards the world around us? Um, do we have the right, correct attitude? So if you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 today, um, we're going to look at verses 27 to, through 38. So Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 38. <clears throat> and maybe as you're turning there, you see that this is... Um, a fairly well-known passage with the whole turn the other cheek, you know, somebody asked for your cloak um, passage. Before we jump into it, um, just before we get there, I want to say that this, um, our passage and what we're talking about today has no bearing on, um, on physical abuse or any kind of physical or spiritual or mental or vocal um, abuse in any way like if you've experienced physical abuse verbal abuse any kind of abuse in that way um, this passage does not accept that kind of thing and in no passage in scripture you'll find will accept that kind of actions or words um, at all in fact scripture condemns those things uh, very um, severely and so don't worry we're not going anywhere near that kind of a topic this morning just to reassure you that God loves you um, and um, 
what happened to you or what may have happened in the past, um, he can take that and he can use it for amazing things. But we're not going anywhere there this morning, uh, but just wanted to make sure uh, that doesn't bring up any red flags. But Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through, we're going to go all the way through 38 is our goal this morning. Um, there's a lot of material here. So it starts off, he says, but I say to you who hear. Now this is Jesus speaking. Um, it's kind of a, a parallel passage to the Sermon in, um, on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. You see a lot of the same content, maybe just worded a little differently um, because Matthew and Luke are two different people and they see things from two different lenses. Um, but so we're, we're having Jesus, he's, he's talking to his disciples um, as we see in previous verses in 17 to 19, that it's a kind of an audience of his disciples. There's, you know, it's a big audience. There's people mixed in, but he's directing his teaching on how his disciples are to live in the world around them. Um, and he kind of summarizes the Beatitudes. He has a few woes, but our, our context then is, you know, we're, we're looking at the disciples, how the disciples are supposed to live and what Jesus is teaching them. But I think as you look at that first phrase, but I say to you who hear, um, my question then is to you, are you ready to hear? Um, do you regularly take time to hear? And did you come to scripture this morning or do you come to scripture on a regular basis expecting to hear from God? Um, because it's not automatic, right? That's what basically Jesus is saying. Not everyone's here to hear it. He knows that. But he's saying to those of you who are ready to listen, this is what I want to say. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now we see in these verses, um, again, context is important. I think if we jump back up to verse 22, it says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. He's saying as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you're going to experience this. You're going to experience people who are your enemies, who hate you, who revile you, who don't want to have anything to do with you and your beliefs because of your belief in me. So that's the context of these, these sayings, I think, that we're looking at. Um, so he's saying, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. And we see um, a use of a, a literary structure here called parallelism. He's using basically different words. He's saying the same thing in different ways um, throughout the whole passage. It's all over in the passage. He just kind of, he says, says the same thing. He tweaks it a little bit um, because we're all different, right? We all have different paths. We all have different struggles. Um, you know, maybe we don't think that we have any enemies right now to love, but maybe you do have somebody who, who hates you or who is struggling against you. Maybe you don't have somebody who hates you, um, but you have an enemy, or maybe you have somebody who's um, threatening you. And I think the word abuse there is not necessarily physical abuse, but somebody who is um, in a threatening position. Um, but he's saying the things that we're supposed to do are love, bless, do good, and pray against those people that, are that we struggle against in our life. So love, do good, bless, which means to speak well of. So speak well of those who curse you, 
and pray for those who abuse you. Not in the middle of abuse, like I said before. It's not saying sit there and take it. It's, it's, this is kind of an after effect and a whole encompassing of how we're supposed to live. Um, the theme, um, and the, you think about these things, they're, they're not natural, right? They're against everything that we want to do. If somebody hates me, I don't want to do good things to them. I mean, that's, that's not my nature. It shouldn't be your nature. If somebody's uh, abusive towards you, no matter what it looks like, my first thought is not to sit down and pray for that kind of person because I don't, I don't want to do that. That's not my nature. So I think as we see, and you'll see it in some of the other verses in this passage, that these are supernatural activities, right? You cannot do these things apart from Christ changing your heart and transforming you. And sometimes it may take a while for you to get to this point. But this is the point where God wants us to get. And as we think of the context of um, engaging uh, a world around us that is hostile to um, who we are and what we believe, um, these are the attitudes that God wants us to have or to work towards if you're not there yet, uh, because that's okay. Sanctification is a process. Um, but as we look at these two, the theme that I also want to underscore in the context of the world around us and how do we engage it is the fact that all of these activities and the things that God wants us to do, that Jesus is asking us to do, are their aggressive attempts to establish community. So I'll say that again. They're aggressive attempts to establish community. There's people in our lives, there's people in the world around us who are coming at us in hostility and anger and, and division and instead of responding in kind, what Jesus is saying is because I love them and I want to save them too, right? God says not, he doesn't want, he doesn't wish that anyone should perish, but that all have eternal life. I want you to respond in such a way that you're trying to establish community with that person so that you can share the love of Christ with them. That's the goal. That's the whole kind of overarching theme of our actions and our attitudes towards the world around us, to establish, um, ag aggressively attempt to establish community. And it's going to look different. That's the hard part about taking this and applying it to a situation is it's not easy. I mean, this isn't, <laughs> after I started studying it, I was like, I was like, oh, this will be a good passage. You know, I, I feel like this is what God wanted me to do. And then it was like, that's not an easy passage. Like, the next verse is to the one who strikes you on the cheek, you know, how do you interpret that and apply it to your life? Okay, that's not going to be as easy as I thought it was going to be. Um, but that's the overarching theme, I think, is trying to establish community through our attitude and our actions towards the world around us. Um, so maybe that's a coworker. Uh, maybe that's a family member who is hostile or um, totally disagrees and is very vocal or uh, with their disagreement of you and your beliefs. Um, being responding with love, responding by doing good, responding with speaking well of these people instead of um, maybe even behind their back to somebody else, you know, saying, oh, man, I can't believe that guy at work. I mean, or, you know, that uncle or aunt or whatever it is who really, you know, responding with our words and appropriateness, even if that person isn't there. Um, maybe it's the mainstream media, right, who is obviously um, hostile to the beliefs of Christianity. Is it, it, it's in our online interactions. Now that we're in a digital social media age, 
these are the attitudes that we're supposed to have and the actions that we're supposed to display even in our online interactions towards the world around us. Um, Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to answer, how you ought to answer each person. I think maybe I should post that on the top of my computer screen so I can look at it on a regular basis. Um, but how, how are we responding? Are we responding in love? Are we responding by doing good and blessing and praying for those around us? Um, aggressively attempting to establish that community with the people who disagree with us. Um, and sometimes that's not possible. Um, maybe relationships, you need distance for certain relationships um, with the whole issue of abuse. But towards the, um, towards the world around us, how are we responding? This should be our attitude. Verses, um, we'll move on to verses 29 and 30. 29 through 31, it says, so those are, our, that's our over kind of arcing theme, do those things. Um, and now Jesus is gonna give us some dramatic illustrations on maybe what that would look like. So he says in verse 29, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them, right? So these are dramatic illustrations. Um, a, a quote from one of the commentaries I was reading, it says, these are dramatic illustrations of an attitude that remains totally open to the action of the other despite the provocations of hurt, insult, and material loss. Um, again, context is important. He, he talked about religious persecution in verse 22. This. Um, turning the other cheek, as you maybe want to describe it, is not in the context of a bully on the playground, um, somebody who's taking your purse and trying to abuse you, or anything of that nature. God does not prohibit self-defense or fleeing from evil. Um, that's not this context at all. He's talking about, if you were talking, especially if you think of, if you remember the story of Paul in the book of Acts when he's on trial, what happens to him? He gets backhanded across the cheek, which would be your right cheek. If you were to backhand somebody and you're right-handed, it's gonna come across their right cheek. So it's, it's, a, it's an insult, it's not a form of abuse. It was, in, well, I didn't mean it's a very small form of abuse, but it was an insult basically because that person was disagreeing you to the point where they were choosing to do that, okay? So remember the context. Um, so, and in, in, in these verses also, we need to realize that Jesus is probably using a bit of hyperbole, right? Exaggerated speech that's that to, to make a point. Because we, we know that, because if we, we try to figure that out, how do we know if he's using hyperbole, you ask? Well, there's two kind of questions you can ask. Does the strict literal interpretation or application of this remark lead to an absurd result? Is the, is the answer probably yes? Okay, if you don't think Jesus has a sense of humor, my footnote in verse third, end of verse 29, he who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. My footnote says that the Greek word is a long garment worn under the cloak next to the skin. 
Okay, what garments do you wear that are next to your skin? Your underwear. Okay, if, if, if Jesus is really saying if somebody takes your coat, you're supposed to offer them your underwear too. Okay, he's kind of, if you take that to an extreme, that's a little bit absurd, right? But it's, it's an attitude that he's saying. And the other question you can ask, do examples of applying this um, in the early church illustrate more concretely the intended application, okay? Did every time the early church was accused or, um, you know, things taken from them, did they respond? I mean, Paul, there were several times where Paul, he was let down in a basket to get away from persecution. There's times, um, so we don't take this 100% literally. That's absurd. Um, that's why Jesus is using an exaggerated, dramatic illustration. But the point that we can get from this illustration um, is that the same thing. We're trying to, an attitude towards the world around us that is hostile, um, that our response to them when wronged should mirror the kindness and grace of God, right? As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. That's basically the golden rule that we talk about in, um, that we see throughout Scripture. What is our attitude and our response? He's not saying you can't defend yourself or flee from persecution or evil. Um, he's talking about an attitude. What's the goal in our response? Romans 2.4 says that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So our actions and our attitudes, our goal is to respond in kindness in order to try to lead somebody to repentance, right? In Proverbs, you've made me think of the verse in Proverbs where it talks about um, doing, feeding your enemy and giving him something to drink because in doing so, it says you heap burning coals on his head. It's not that you literally, you know, try to burn him to death. It's the fact that you're, you're causing him to think if this person's responding this way after I just did that, something's different. Something's not, either something's not right with this person or something's different. And you're trying, you're trying to get them to think what could be different. And pe most people should know that you're a Christian and maybe think, huh, maybe that's what makes them different. And maybe lead to those conversations and lead to somebody thinking about who God is. <clears throat> and as you, well, we'll move on. Verses 32 to... Um, well, how do we apply that then? What, do we, what does that look like in our life? Um, how do we respond with gentleness? We kind of maybe talked about some scenarios before. But the other thing that is underneath this kind of these examples and illustrations is that you have to be in proximity to, these, to somebody for these things to happen, right? Okay? You can't backhand somebody across the internet physically. You can't... You know, somebody can't take your things unless you're in physical proximity to these people. So that means it's not us, you know, what is it, us for and no more? Is that the phrase? Where you're building your little fortress, you're making your walls as high as you can, trying to seclude yourself in a fortress because you're a Christian and you're trying to avoid all the evil things of the world and the bad things and you don't want people to do some of these things to you or your family. But you, you have to. That's, God is asking us to be in proximity because he's asking us to extend his kindness to try to lead people to repentance. And that's going to open us up because it makes you vulnerable to being hurt, um, to, for people saying things that you, against you that 
are going to hurt you, um, maybe even doing things that are going to hurt you. Um, but that's what God asks us to do, to share his kindness with the world around us. Are you engaging the culture? Um, and I can tell you from my own perspective, I, in a way, in the last maybe six months, I kind of stepped back and said, I don't want to do that because I have saw um, all of the, the horrible things going on or just the, the animosity and the division. And I kind of, I stepped back and said, I don't want to deal with that for a while. I'm, I'm just done. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with the world around me. And what that did and said, then what am I focus on? I focus on myself, which makes me more selfish. Um, and I focus on my selfish desires um, instead of opening up and trying to engage the world around me. So let's move on to verses 32 um, through 30, 32 and 33. It says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Okay, he's saying that if you're just doing, if you love people who love you or give things to people who are going to give back to you, you're just like the world. That's basically what he's saying. A bunch of rhetorical questions that have an obvious answer. Okay? If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? None. Even sinners love them. Um, just kind of expanding, like I said, saying the same thing in a different way to try to get to people. Um, verse 35 and 36, he summarizes it again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. He kind of summarizes the whole thing that he's been talking about. Makes it easy for you to understand. Um, puts it in those easy bullet points. Um, and says, this is how I want you to act. And this is where we see that the power doesn't come from us. It has to be a supernatural thing. It says, you will be sons of the Most High. Um, we are, because we are sons of the Most High, who is unkind and ungrateful to the ungrateful and evil, because God is merciful and he's changed us and made us new, those, that's the reason we can, we can respond in this way. Um, we would not be able to do it without him. And our reward is not always physical. If you go back to verse 22, um, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Okay, there's, all, there's a heavenly reward is going to be coming, spending forever with Christ. So when was the last time, as you think about that God being a son of the Most High, a God who is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, um, being merciful because God is merciful. How do we, how do, we do that on a daily basis? Um, and I think the, one of the songs we sang this morning it really is about remembering what God has done for you. Um, I think we've, we've heard that theme already this morning too. When was the last time you stood and stared in awe and wonder at the vastness of God's love and the magnificence of his salvation? Were you just like, just stop and wonder in awe in the fact that the God of the universe was willing 
to come down and offer up his life for you, for just because he loved you, right? We, even in our, our ABF class this morning, it's amazing how many things are carrying through, um, like kind of simplifying it down. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I mean, it's a, a small cliche or a, a children's song, but if we stop and you think and you remember what God has done for you, you look at your past and what God has done for you, and you're filled up with that to overflowing, that's going to spill out into your attitudes and your actions towards other people. Um, so I think that's what it takes. It takes you on a regular basis remembering and getting in God's word and saying, remembering what God did for you, whether it's all he did was save you from telling you know, a few lies and disobeying your parents and everything else you've done, or it was something big. You think there's not, you know, we try to classify sins as little sins or big sins. Um, they're both, when you come to the foot of the cross, whether you told a lie or you murdered somebody, it's a sin and it keeps you separated from Christ. Um, and he had to die to save you from that sin. So when you're filled up to overflowing with God's love for you, it spills out into your interactions with others. 1 Corinthians 16.11 says, And such were some of you. Right? He just finished listing a bunch of sins that keep people out of heaven. And we don't need to go through those because we all know them. And because most of us have done all of, most of them. And it says, Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Remembering what God has done for you helps you to act and respond and have these attitudes, correct attitudes towards those around us. So finishing it off to kind of summarizing it in verses 37 and 38, he says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you, right? Two negatives and two positives. We see that parallel again. Um, if, you, if you choose not to judge, you will not be judged. If you choose not to condemn, you will not be condemned. If you choose to forgive, you will be forgiven. If you choose to give, it will be given to you. Basically, God is saying, you know, how do you want God to treat you? Do you want him to be strict with you and the things that you've done in your past? Because he can, he can do that if that's the way you want to treat other people. You know, that's what he says in the next verse. It says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And he kind of closes with this agricultural illustration, um, the fact that when you, it was, a, it was basically, he's talking about a grain contract. If you were to bring grain um, to sell to somebody, the person who was buying it, their, their measurements were what you used. And what God is saying is when he's putting it in, if you think of maybe putting um, something in a bucket, corn or whatever it is, and you're putting it in that bucket, if you want to get the most in there, you're not just going to dump it. Or if you want it to be skimpy with somebody, you're going to maybe just maybe leave a little bit underneath the top of the line. Um, but that's not what God's saying he wants to do. He wants to put in that bucket. He wants to shake it around to get every ounce of space out of there. He wants to pour some more in there and pack it down and pour some more until it's overflowing. That's what he wants to do for us. And that's what he wants us to do for others. It made me think of, uh, 
I don't know if some of you have probably eaten at like a Mongolian grill. Um, when I was in college, there was a Mongolian grill that was a little different than like what you have in Sioux Falls, but you paid um, a certain price based on the size of bowl that you got. So there was a small bowl, there's a medium bowl, and there's a really large bowl. You know, and the small one was cheaper, um, and I'm in college with my friends, and so of course that's what you want to go for because you don't think you have a lot of money. Um, so we found a way to make that little bowl, whatever it was, eight dollars, at least last two meals. Sometimes you could get three out of it because you didn't just go and put your noodles in there and put your meat on the top and kind of pile it in. No, you first you figured out that you take that bowl and you go to the meat section first because the meat's frozen and it's it's thinly sliced and you put it in that bowl. You press it down with your fist until it's just compacted as hard as you can get it. And then you go over and you, well, maybe if you're not me, you'd go over and get some vegetables. Um, and you put your vegetables on top and they're kind of frozen. And so you push them down too and try to get as much. And then you go and get your noodles and you pile that bowl as high as you can get with noodles until, it's, until they're falling off the edge because you can't get any more in there. And then you go and you add your sauces and your spices and things like that. Um, that's kind of the idea that he's saying here. He's saying with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If that's the way you treat other people, that's the way he's treated you. Whether you think about it or not, that's what he's done in the past for you. He's, it's overflowing. His grace, his love, his kindness, his mercy is overflowing towards you. And that's how he wants you to treat other people. And when we do that, I think it does lead to repentance. God's kindness leads to repentance and when we can mirror that to the world around us that's what it leads to and that's our goal um, I've been reading a book um, by <clears throat> Jim Daly called refocus I think he's still the president of focus on the family um, and he he had a story in there where he talked about um, he was meeting he decided to have lunch with um, somebody in their community who was a, a well-known um, homosexual activist in the community, he, somebody who was promoting the homosexual agenda. Um, and as the president of Focus on the Family, if you know anything about that, I mean, it's a large international organization that's very um, um, clear in where they stand on marriage and abortion and, and conservative issues from the scriptures. Um, for him as the president to meet with that person uh, there was people who were who didn't like it. They thought that he shouldn't be doing that because they don't they don't agree. There's division there. There's animosity there. Like, and if you're meeting with that, does that mean you're associating with that kind of people and all those rumors that could start? But he felt like it was something that God wanted him to do. And he said, although they didn't agree and they didn't come to any kind of conclusion, um, they were able to be civil and respectable and kind towards one another. Um, but then he said at the end, um, he just felt like God wanted him to say something, and I'm going to have to paraphrase because I don't have his exact words. But basically, Jim Daly said to this person, he said, you know, at the end of the day, the reality is God loves me and God loves you. And just a simple phrase like that, you know, something to that effect. Um, he said this person just, they couldn't respond. And they broke down and they started to break down in tears. Um, and it was that kind of, you know, that's the kind of witness or the kind of testimony that I hope I can have. Like, it's not just the fact that, you know, you're, what you're doing or you being host, hostile to the world around you, but being able to respond in kindness and being so in tune with what God is doing and the Holy Spirit moving um, that you might be able to 
say a couple words or say a sentence or share a story of your own life that would be able to um, bridge that gap and try to establish community with somebody in order to bring them to repentance, to be able to share the, the gospel with them um, through our words and our actions. And unfortunately, a lot of times you have to share the gospel through your actions first before somebody's going to listen to your words because they want to know, do you actually care? Or are you just another one of those people who's going to condemn me and ridicule me and, and say all these mean things about the way I'm living? So I think what God is asking, what Jesus was asking his disciples, um, you know, way back in the early church, is to respond out of love, to respond out of kindness. And that's, that's where I think we're headed. And that's, what we need to, that's where we need to be headed as a church um, and as believers. We need to not so much worry about the, the world around us, and shaping and so being so focused on the the evil things around us but what is my attitude towards the people around me do i have a christ-like attitude towards those around me whether they love me or they hate me what's my attitude and it should be one of loving your enemies doing good to those who hate you blessing those who curse you pray for those who abuse you lending expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.